for their Bible lesson this morning, Children's Church time. These folks head out. Appreciate Brother Connor teaching them this month. We do have several guests here today. It's great to have uh, Bobby and James' neighbors with me. Played uh, basketball with their son Matt uh, through junior high. Uh, until my 11th grade year, I quit right before the season started because I realized I was a lot better at cross country and track and uh, could maybe do something there. And uh, But played with Matt a number of years, and they were great parents. And uh, But I tell you, uh, now, my dad going in those stands at referees, coaches, and his son and, you know, other people and Miss Neighbors up there, they could really get it going back in the day. I'll tell you right now, they were, uh, but they were great. And really, I would consider the two of them uh, that was really a close basketball group, really super close, that played together uh, really from seventh grade up through high school, those of us that kept playing a little bit in high school, and we really like a family, and so I'm really, really, really excited that they're here today, and I've known since I was a boy uh, their Christian testimony. My mom and dad always uh, got along well with them uh, because they knew that they also loved, they loved sports, but they loved the Lord Jesus uh, more. And that's what matters. So it's, it's wonderful to have them visiting today. And it's glad to have you here today. And uh, I'm excited about the Word of God. Now you guys know that we went on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago. And we were able to go to Florida and do some things. And uh, we were able to, to swim in the ocean a couple of days. And one day where we were at, we saw some dolphins. We saw some dolphins uh, out where we were. I think my wife spotted them first. The boys and I were playing in the water and just, you know, throwing them around and being rough. And she was up there on the beach. And she uh, pointed out and said, look out there, there are dolphins. And uh, it was kind of hard to see them at first. It was kind of hard to see them at first. But then you could, you could once you saw them, you could kind of track them moving forward. And these dolphins, they would, they would jump up in the air and then dive back in the water. And then you wouldn't see them, you know, for a number of seconds. They would jump up into the air and they would dive into the water. And you know, dolphins uh, are perhaps the most friendly, intelligent, and beautiful of all sea creatures. Uh, they're just amazing animals. Did you know that dolphins, they have two really main colors on their body, one on top and one on the bottom. Uh, they have dark gray backs and they have silver bellies or whitish uh, type bellies going on. It's camouflage. When the dolphin swims on the surface of the water... The silver masks its shape against the water that, that glimmers. It masks the shape against the water's surface. That makes it hard, that camouflage, makes it hard for predators like sharks to see or discover, uh, spot those dolphins. But when they dive into the deep, dark water, the dark gray of a dolphin masks it against the darker water. And in fact, you only have uh, a few seconds before a dolphin can go very deep, a lot of meters into the water and disappear completely from view where you won't be able to see it once it gets down there because the camouflage is so, uh, so successful. And we saw that on vacation. We could, once she spotted them, we could see them. But once they went under that water, you, you, you could not see them. You had no idea where they were at. And it happened very quick and very sudden. And then boom! The dolphin would burst back into view, and then it would crash back into the water and, and dive back in. And, and they, there they go again. You know, there are times in our lives, for those of us that are followers of the Lord Jesus, have given our life to Him, that have His Holy Spirit 
dwelling with us and comforting us and challenging us and strengthening us. There are times that we, we have a very, from our side, we have a very deep awareness of God's presence. And we really feel and we really are aware and we're really uh, just, just, uh, just kind of overcomes us and we know that the presence of God is with us. But then there are times in our lives uh, that God can be like that dolphin. He's still there. He's still present, but we don't see him or feel him. or We're not as aware of him as we are at other times. If we're not careful, we can begin to think that the Lord has abandoned us. That the Lord is not watching us, that he's not caring for us. But the reality is that God is still with us in all seasons of our life. So I want you to turn today to Acts 16. And I want us to see three events in the life of the Apostle Paul and his missionary companions, Timothy and Silas. Now I want us to see a, a three events that they encounter that are very different, but all three of them show us the ways in which God's hand are still with us in whatever circumstances we face in life. So Acts chapter 16. We have Paul and Silas. Remember, we've been preaching through Acts on Sunday morning. And Paul and Barnabas, these great friends, have parted ways. They have gone different directions. And Paul has picked up Silas. And then we saw the other week that he has picked up Timothy uh, to go with him to help spread the word of God. And you'll notice in our text that the writer of Acts, there goes to a point where he talks about what they are doing to what he uses the phrase we. And so we think that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, we think that it's somewhere along this journey is where Paul actually picked up Luke and began to take him along. So we know Paul, Silas, Timothy are here. And we think because of uh, some of the pronoun usage that you're going to see in this passage, that along the way, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, begins to journey with them. So it says in Acts 16, verse 6, that when they had gone through uh, Phrygian in the region of Galatia, that they were forbidden... They were stopped to the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So they're going one direction, and the Holy Spirit stops them. So they came to Messiah, and, and they stayed to go on to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You ever had those occasions in life where you feel like, this is what I need to do, this is where I need to head, but bam, the door closes. And so you think, all right, I'll go to my plan B, I'll try this, and you try it, and then bam, another door shuts. Well, it says they were passing through Messiah, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and, they, and prayed him, or begged Paul, he's begging him in this dream, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we, so there we go, really first time in Acts, we see we, the author is including himself, so we think this is Luke has also joined in. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, that, uh, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So they uh, are stopped. And they're stopped, but then God opens the door. Then all of a sudden God opens the door. You know, we should be excited for a lot of reasons as a church family. One reason we should be excited today is we know that Mike and Rosa and all the, the energy that they have put into caring for little Jackson, and Mike and Rosa are really at the point of their life where they're grandparents. You know, they're, they're, that's what they are as grandparents. But they had this little nephew that somebody needs to care for and provide for. And, and, and some of you know this story. They drove all night to Pennsylvania when they found out the judge was going to turn him over to state's custody. He drove all night and 
and, and brought him back to Tennessee, and he's been a part of our family. And then, bam, the court system may be going to do something different with him. And they have been praying, and we've been praying. And I can tell you, Brother Mike, at least one time during the left work, came over to church and came into the sanctuary alone and got with God and cried and prayed. And I want to tell you something we should celebrate today because sometimes God closes some doors in our lives, but he opened a door in Micah Rosa's. We were worried that maybe it's going to shut, and, and we're not out of the woods yet, but praise the Lord, they've decided to move the whole custody case from Pennsylvania to Tennessee. Would you say amen? Sometimes we say, God, why are you doing this? What are you preparing me for? Why is my, why my plan A, my plan B? I'm, 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 these guys are doing what God wants. They're going to preach the word. God has another plan for them, and maybe for you. Maybe for you, God is shutting some doors because he has another door prepared that he wants to use you in another another area of ministry so what happens they say we knew then we knew that's where we were to go therefore they losing or they left from Troas we came with a straight course to Sathorica and the next day to Neapolis and from thence to Philippi which is the chief city of that part part of uh, Macedonia so here's Macedonia this is where you know, as Brother Rick reminded me this morning, this is where Alexander the Great, uh, he actually wasn't a Greek, he was a Macedonian, and his, his father Philip uh, took over the Greeks and then used their army, and then, and then, boy, Alexander took the Greeks and conquered the world. This is Macedonia, this is, this is where Alexander the Great, this is where his people would have been from. So we went to Philippi, the chief part of Macedonia. It says, verse 12, we were in that city abiding certain days, they stayed for a while. And so what happens for, what's some of the things that happen while they're there? Well, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of uh, Thyatira of, of the, uh, that worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken. She believed. She paid attention to. She affirmed the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us or she begged us or she inquired of us. She said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She wants to be uh, where God's presence is moving and where God is doing things. And she says, hey, stay with us. We want to be an assistance of you in this ministry. So we first, we have Lydia, this seller of purple. And it came to pass as we went to prayer. So, so probably uh, going to pray, they, they're continuing to do this, they're headed to prayer. A certain damsel, a young girl, maybe a teenage girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, I believe this is close to where the Oracle of Delphi was. And the Oracle of Delphi is where in the ancient world, before kings would go to battle, uh, where the rich and powerful would have to make great decisions, they would go to the Oracle of Delphi. And those women would shave their head. And it was believed that they shaved their head as a sign that they were opening themselves up to demonic powers. Uh, later, Paul will write, and he will tell women that they are to keep the head covered. And one of the great uh, debates, and I don't necessarily care where you fall on this, but uh, uh, one of the great debates about what that means is some people that means they, they say, well, that means you're to keep it covered uh, with a, with a hat or some kind of uh, garment on the top. Others say no, that to keep it covered means that they were to keep their hair on their head, to keep their head covered as a sign that they were not. They, hey, God, because here's what's happened in the New Testament: the New Testament, God's Spirit is available to both men and women. 
And the Spirit of God moves. I can tell you, I had a praying mom. And I had a mom that was able to show me right from wrong. And I have a mother that I can tell you without a doubt in my mind. She's not a man, but she listened and prayed and was open to what the Spirit of God wanted to do in her life. Ladies, if you are glad that God's Spirit is available to you, say amen. But Paul knows. There are those who will see this and will think, well, these are like the, what the spirits do to these other women. And Paul says, whatever he means there when he tells them, he says, hey, we've got, to, we've got to make it clear that there's something different going on. So some people debate, does that covering mean hair? Does it mean some other cloth? Uh, but we know in that context, Paul is trying to get the women of the church to make clear the Spirit of God is doing things, but it's something different from what the pagan world has up its sleeve. So here at, at Philippi, this is, this is a location where where, and I'm going to tell you, uh, there, there, was a, there was a study in the ancient world where this guy went around to all these places that supposedly people had spiritual encounters and they went and he came back and he wrote this treatise and he said the Oracle of Delphi was the one place that he felt like that's not a fake. There is something going on. Now we would say that something is demonic. The presence of the demonic is powerful, powerful there. And so here he is. And here now is the word of God. Uh, that is there. And so, so it goes on, and look what it says. Uh, it, it goes on, and it says, verse 16, It came to pass we went to prayer, and a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain, or a lot of money by soothsaying or telling the future. This same girl, what'd she do? She followed Paul and us, and cried, and said, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, here's the thing with that phrase, the Most High God. We know that that is the living God, the Creator God. Remember just a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas were preaching the truth, and what happened? It says the priest of Zeus, uh, and Apollos rather, the priest of Apollos came forward, and they wanted to acclaim them as the God, their Most High Gods. And so it's a little unclear here. Is she, is she saying that this is uh, the Most High God the God of creation, that we know the Father Jesus? Or is she just saying in some general way, this is, this is the ones of the Most High God? We don't exactly know. What we do know is she, uh, in some way in doing this, she is drawing attention away from Jesus, which is the heartbeat of Paul. And what she's doing is drawing some attention to them that he doesn't really like and he thinks is wrong. And plus she is doing this, whatever she means here, whatever's going on, it's not really her, it's some, sort of, it's some sort of demonic power that has its own intention, its own plans, and that is to lead others astray. And so Paul, he, uh, he wants to make clear that this sort of demonic activity that's going on in this area, that's not the power of the gospel that he is bringing. So what happens? Uh, it says, 18, this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, it tore him up, it aided him. So what happens? He finally turned. And said to the spirit, right? He doesn't speak to the girl. He speaks to the spirit that is behind this. I command thee, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gain, their money was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. They grab a hold of them because they have lost their income. And they dragged them in. So even if she had meant that it was the most high God, the true God, if that's what she meant, the whole purpose of this was still 
for those masters was not to use this knowledge to build Jesus up, but for them to make money. And Paul wants to make it clear. Everybody in this town knows that these guys are using her to make money. I will have none of that. And so he attacks that demon in the name of Jesus. He compels that demon to come out, and they lose their livelihood. So we've seen a slave girl whose life is changed by Paul. We have seen... uh, a seller of purple whose life's changed by Paul. Let's see a third person today. They brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. So they brought Paul and Silas. But we know Timothy is with them. We know that Luke is using the language of we. But see, Timothy, remember, he is half Gentile, half Jew. Uh, Luke, by the very name, has got... He, he, he at least has some interaction with Gentile world. It's interesting they only take those two. And some, some commentators point that out. Uh, at this time, this very time in Rome, the Jews have just been expelled. So you need to know that. The emperor has just expelled the Jews from Rome right when this stuff is going on. And so some people say this was their chance to use that to stop this ministry. So that might be, now I'm not saying definitively, all right, so I want to to bracket this a little bit, but this may be why they're the only two that have to go before the magistrates. That they take Paul and they take Silas. Uh, Verse 20, they brought them the magistrates. They said, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And that's what they had said at Rome. The Jews are causing causing trouble. They try trouble in our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. Christianity is not a religion accepted by the Roman Empire. And so they're, they're teaching things that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent or tore their clothes and commanded to beat them, just as Jesus went through to, to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner, uh, the inner prison and made their feet fast. He locks them up in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. If you are glad that you can pray and sing in the darkest hour to a living God and that he will hear your prayers and your songs, say amen. They prayed and they sang. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Oh, I'm reminded of the walls of Jericho when they marched around. And now this same God is watching his people and the the walls, the prison shaken. Immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's hands were loosed. And the keeper of the prisoner awaking out of his sleep saw the prison doors opened. He drew out his sword. It's his responsibility. It doesn't matter that it's a natural disaster. It's, it's his responsibility. By the way, I'm sorry. It wasn't a natural disaster. It was a supernatural work of God. Keeper of the prisoner, verse 27, awoke out of his sleep. Seeing the prison doors open, he drew out the sword. He would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had all, they'd all fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, the the, the jailer did. He sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and you shall be saved and thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And they took him the same hour of the night and they washed their stripes. And he was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, uh, he set meat before them. And this guy rejoices with him. He's now like Lydia. He now wants to be a part of the work of God as well. He rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the servant saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prisoner told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But then Paul's going to drop a, pe- he's going to drop a bomb on him. And we're not going to dwell on this today, but this is going to be important for later in the book of Acts. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans. They were not aware that Paul, being a Jew, was also a Roman citizen because of where he was born. They didn't know that, that he was actually both a Jew and a Roman citizen. We have been Romans. They have beat us. They just did it. There was no, uh, we were not able to appeal, not able to have a trial. And they have beaten us. They have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? They just want to get rid of us, push us off? No. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the servants told those words unto the magistrates, and they feared. And when they heard that they were Romans, they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them. Now they're asking politely. They desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and they departed. Lydia, a slave girl, a Philippian jailer. Lydia, the slave girl, the Philippian jailer. Three encounters with God that reveal to us the presence of God in all of life. From these three encounters, let me just share with you quickly three life spheres where we know that God is present in our journey as believers. Number one, where do we see God's hand? Number one in this text, we see God's hand so clearly in the diversions. Verses 6 through 9 show us that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are traveling toward the northwest. Everything is going according to their plan. Then for reasons untold at the moment, the Holy Spirit forbids them from speaking the word of God in that western part of Asia Minor. They go to plan B. They head to Bithynia an area of Asia Minor on the southern shore of the Black Sea. But again, for reasons that we only find out later in the text, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, stops them. How frustrating, you imagine? Because we've been with Paul for a while in this journey through the book of Acts. And this is a man that wants to get things done. That's why John Mark can't take John Mark with me, Barnabas. Because I'm focused and determined and there's going to be beatings and there's going to be hardships and I can't waste any time with the gospel. And so, so, so Barnabas uh, apparently had a, had a little bit different temperament, able to work and build John Mark back in ministry. But Paul's got a ministry, he doesn't have time for that. But now God has stopped him. Now God has not let Paul go the way he wants to go. And just from what we pick up about Paul in the book of Acts and also other places, I've got to believe that this, this was tough for him. Because he's focused and he's driven and yet he is diverted from his path. And some of you today, you have been diverted from your path. Your life has taken some diversions and you don't understand. And you're trying to faithfully follow Jesus this morning, but you're not where you thought you would be at this point in your life. Friend, I want to tell you, some diversions in life are because of your sin. Some diversions you bring on yourself because of sinfulness and you walk down the path of sin and oh, the book of Proverbs tries to warn us practically wisdom-wise about what sin will do to us. And it is true. Some of you today 
have been diverted from the path you need to be on because of your sin. But some of you today are not there because of failures of sin. They are diversions that God has put in your path because he's got to divinely direct you to where you need to be. So Paul can't go plan A, can't go plan B. But at Troas, he has a vision. A man of Macedonia appealing to him to come there and help them. This vision helps lead him into Europe. So you can see, he's headed off into Asia. That little circle there is where, uh, near where Philippi would have been, the kingdom of Macedonia. This now begins a journey in a different direction that's going to eventually lead him to want to hook up with the, the Roman church where he didn't plant that church. Right? He didn't plant the Roman church, but he writes Romans so they'll understand what he believes and, and what he's about and what he's preaching. And, and many people think he wanted to, to go on to Rome and then, and then go to Spain, but we don't think he ever got out of Rome. We think he, he got there and, and eventually is put to death. The Lord had to divert him from where he was going to get him to help bring the gospel into Europe. So he has this vision to come to Macedonia. And Christianity begins to break into new and fertile ground. It's some of you this morning, you are in diversions, and they're not failures. They're disappointing to you, but you need to see with eyes of faith that some of you, the diversions that you are in are the divine path that God has used to get you where you need to be. Where God's hand is, God's hand will be in diversions at times. Those are the unexpected detours, but God is still guiding. If you believe today that God can be in the diversions, say amen. Number two, his hands are in the diversions, but they're also in the troubles. They get on down the road. They, things go good at first. They're there with Lydia. They have this conversion right off the bat. By, by, there's a lot of discussion about why, why the women, uh, apparently these are God-fearers, maybe already converted to Judaism probably. It was a little bit easier for a woman to convert to Judaism because if you're a man, there's that thing called circumcision we have read about, some other things that would have been a little bit like, whoa, I don't know. This is a big commitment to do this uh, if you've not already gone, gone, gone through that as a child. And so it does seem that, that for women, uh, there were some things they didn't have to do. And so that might be why. I don't know. But what we know is there's Lydia, and he gets this convert. And uh, she's a seller of purple. She's got some sort of economic means, and she wants to use that to bless him and help him. Things are going good, and then the troubles start. And that's where some of you are today. The path has been good. It's been going right, and you haven't been diverted from your path, but all of a sudden trouble has shown up right there in that path that you were on. We saw in our text it's greedy sinners, sinners who don't want to be departed from their money. These slave owners have lost their income because of what has happened here. And now they drag Paul and Silas before the authorities. They have been beaten and thrown into jail, locked in stocks. And again, maybe it's only Paul and Silas because Timothy is a half-Gentile. Luke, with these Gentile connections, these charges against Paul and Silas include the fact that they are Jews. Emperor Claudius has just expelled the Jews from Rome, and maybe this good Roman province wants to they want to use that. And this is an example for the magistrates to use that to show we're following the good example of our leader from the top, the emperor. Where was God in all this? It was the Lord who had led them to Philippi in a distinct way. Had he forgotten them? Had God forgotten them? Had Paul missed the signals? Had he misread with this vision what was really going on? No. 
No, because just at the right time, there is a powerful earthquake. An earthquake that rocks the land to show that God is still in charge. Maybe today following Jesus has created some trouble for you at school. Maybe it's created some difficulties for you at work, among your friends, among your family. And maybe you're starting to think, has God abandoned me? Or have I gotten off on a, on a wrong path? Have I, have I messed up here? You can't see the dolphins in the air anymore when it comes to God. You don't see that anymore. It seems as if God has, divin, uh, has, 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 has gone deep away from you. And all you can see is the sharks in your life. The disappointments, the disturbances. It's God's hand there in the trouble. Well, it's there with Paul and Silas. And like Paul and Silas, I would say to you today, struggling believer, that God's hand is there with you when you go through these trials for faithfully following the Lord. If you're glad that He's with us in the trials, say amen. Now, we went to the baptism site last Friday so they could video that little blurb we saw at the beginning. And on August the 12th, this, this year, we went to check it out to make sure it works a little bit closer and uh, just head down Gainesburg grade. When you get out there, you're going to get to Cumbie Road. And as soon as you turn to left, there's a big swimming hole there. And there's lots of places for people that can't, can't really walk much. There are places right there you can get out of your car. And we're going to have chairs set up. And you can sit right there and watch the baptism. The rest of us, we can get down there. Now, we got to pray now. We got to pray. Because we got these four boys now that are sitting right there with my wife that, that left to go, to go to the upper class. And then we got little Aaron Moss. You know, back there, and uh, Aaron, yeah, it is, that's right, that's correct. Ruth Moss, yes, that is your name. Woo, man, I got confused. We got Aaron back there, we got Owen back there, and I'm going to tell you, we took Owen and Ethan with us this baptism hole. And there's one thing that's at this baptism hole that's not up there in Monterey at Steel Bridge. There's a rope swing and uh, Ethan and Owen, uh, they heard me and Mark and Tanner talking about, we'll get some people out here about 45 minutes early, so if there are people out there, you know, drinking and doing all this stuff, that we can tell them, hey, we're going to have a baptism in a little bit. Can you just, you know, just help us out when church folks show up? And, and so, I, so I had said, we'll just have some people kind of guard our spot and get the seats ready. And boy, Ethan and Owen heard that. And when they got home, first thing they told their mama, now there wasn't nothing spiritual they wanted to talk about, but they told their mama, they said, Daddy's going to let us be guards so we can get on that swing in that water. We went there to the baptism site. Listen, we went to that baptism site, and you, you could hear the water a little bit. You could hear the water. You could hear the water. Now, there was this great hillbilly back in the day that played music. Some of you that are older, you'll remember him, a guy named Carl Perkins. And Carl Perkins had this great statement. And Carl Perkins says, It's the rocks in the water that makes the song of the stream beautiful. It's the rocks in the water. See, Carl Perkins being a country boy, he knew all about that. It's the rocks in the water that makes the song of the stream beautiful. Now, when we were at that baptism site, Ethan, Ethan had on these little flip-flops, and, and one of them came off, and he stubbed his toe against a rock, and he started talking about, I hurt my toe, and it hurt. And the rocks and the troubles and the struggles, they hurt us. And they bring us pain, and some of you are in pain, and the devil wants that pain to defeat you, and he wants to stop you, just like he wanted to stop Paul and Silas. He wants, your, he wants you to be defeated in the midst of this trouble that you're in. But I want to tell you something, the Lord God, who has redeemed us and saved us, he wants to take that trouble in your life, and He wants to anoint it, and He wants to use it, and He wants that trouble in your life to use it to make the most beautiful song of adoration and glory to His Son, Jesus. Oh, they, they're in trouble, but in the midst of trouble, they begin to sing 
And they begin to pray, and they begin to give a song of praise that is so great and so mighty and so in tune with what God's perfect will was for them that an earthquake, an earthquake erupts where God shows that he's, he's singing. That's God's way of showing, I'm right here with you. I'm singing right along. And let me tell you something, when God sings, when God sings, listen, we, we sing the harmony, but God sings the lead. Amen, church? And he sings a lead with this earthquake. And he breaks open the ground. Listen, is God there in trouble? I can tell you now, if it's sin, that's a different matter. But today we're looking at folks that aren't in sin. They're being faithful. And if you're faithful and there's trouble, listen, sometimes God wants to use those rocks in your life to make a beautiful song for our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, your trials are opportunities. Opportunities disguised as insurmountable problems. Your problems sometimes are right where God wants to reveal uh, his, his omnipotent power to overcome all sin and everything the devil throws at you. I think of Brother Joe Mullins who's told me a number of times. It wasn't until he got very, very sick that he began to get very, very close with the Word of God in a way that he never had before. I think about Mike Bilbrey. And I think that the trouble that Jackson was in, and I know that, you know, maybe Mike would have come over here at church and been on his knees and crying and pleading with God, but I'll be honest. Very few people in our church, when times are going good, do you ever show up during work to come in here and pray? But let, let, let some things happen. Let some troubles occur, and it seems that that has a way of bringing us to God. Should it be that way? No. But is that the way it is? Yes, it is, and God knows that. And so God brings those troubles, so I think of Brother Joe, and I, I think of Brother Mike, and I think of some of you, your marriages has not worked out, and I think of some single people in our church. A couple of them that are already gone to the national chaperones. Head, head that way. I think of one right now. So desperately, so desperately want to date somebody and be with somebody that loves the Lord. But you know what that desperation has done and that desire? It's drawn them closer to God because they know, God, I want this, but i got to learn to be content with you. i got to be right there with you, God. God, help me do this. Listen, God uses these problems. He uses these troubles. God uses diversions. God uses troubles. And finally, God's hand is always there in the conversions of sinners. It's there in the diversion, it's there in the trouble, and it's there in these three events in the conversions that occur. It's there at Lydia's conversion. Now, we don't know if the slave girl is converted. It does not, it does not say that. A lot of people jump to that conclusion, and I hope that is true, and I think it very well may be true that she is converted, but we're not told that clearly. But let's just, let's just assume that she is. Let's just assume after these spirits are cast out and she's experienced the power of God through what he has done, that Lydia is converted. And now there's this slave girl, and then there is the mighty jailer in all his house. These are very different people, just like around this room, very different folks. The hand of God is not limited to some people. The power of God to change your life, to change your story. Listen, it is available to all. Now, me and Brother Trey, who Brother Trey is with Brother Mark on this trip as a chaperone, uh, I learned this past week, well, Brother Trey was in my office, and, and, and we were kind of going over, uh, so he's going to preach next Sunday night, and he was, we were just sharing a little bit, and uh, he's taught our college class, that'll be the first time he's ever preached, really in like a, what we call a traditional church setting, so come, come, come next Sunday, and if you don't usually come, encourage, encourage Trey Bundert, he's a great young man, and, and Brother Trey, though, I'm going to tell you something, though, he, uh, you know, he, he, he started to sing to me a song that he liked about the Lord. And let me tell you, his voice is horrible. So bad that I thought, wow, finally somebody that I can sing better than in our church. But here's the thing, I've sat in front of Trey. And when Trey and I both sing and we can't sing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why, because Brother Cecil, through the microphones, he's louder than we are. 
And Sister Lauren's louder than we are. And Sister Ashley's louder than we are. And Brother Tanner's louder than, than everybody, even though he's not on that mic. You know, Brother Tanner can sing, and he's back there, praise the Lord. So guess what? When, when me and Trey join everybody else and we sing like the Lord has commanded us to do, even if you don't have a great voice, when we join in, guess what? It sounds beautiful. Why? Because our song has linked up with somebody else's song. And I want to tell you today, whether you are a Lydia, whether you're a slave girl, whether you're a mighty jailer like this one here, listen, when the conversion happens, when the Lord saves you, your song, you start singing harmony along with the Lord Jesus who is singing lead. And really, it's not you. He doesn't even have to let you sing. Because he does all salvation. He does all of it. We, we don't add to our salvation. But he makes a decision that for those that have accepted him, he, he takes your story and he begins to use it in some amazing ways. And he is singing and then our voices get to our lives. Our song gets to join in with the story of Jesus and with what God is doing in this world and what his kingdom is doing. And so today, listen, Jesus, now you say, we talk about trouble. What Jesus did at the cross, the biggest trouble there's ever been, he changed that story. And he changed that song from a song of woe and death and destruction and, and defeat. He changed that song into a song of victory. And so today, the Lord God, he wants to take your life and he wants to take your sin. And he wants, you to, he, he wants to take your story and he wants you to repent of your sin. And when you do that, he wants to give you a new song, a new story. And he wants you to join in and, and, and sing right along with this story of the cross that millions upon millions throughout the years have confessed and professed and believed. So listen, Jesus invites you just, just as Lydia and the jailer. And probably the slave girl, just as they were invited, you're invited to confess, to confess and begin to sing along. Even the rocks, even the problems, even the struggles, God says, come on. Come on, because I will make this the most beautiful part of your song. At the beach, the sun and the water, they'll hide the dolphins from view. They'll hide them from view. But if you look closely, you can keep getting glimpses. But eventually they get so far away, in our case they were moving that direction, they get so far away you can't see them anymore. So I do need to tell you one more thing before we have invitation. The Bible is clear. This isn't some, this isn't some ploy by a preacher, this isn't some game, this isn't some trick. This is the Word of God. It's very clear. The Word of God is clear that God's hand will show to you. Oh, sinner who's never confessed, never believed, never held on. It's clear that God desires to show his hand to you. And he desires to show you what Jesus has done. But it's also clear that there is a day that comes where it is too late. The hand, God's still there. The work of Jesus is still there. The problem is you won't be able to see it anymore. It's a problem with you, not with God. So my friend, God's hand is there in all of life. It's there in the diversions, it's there in the troubles, and it's there in the conversion of sinners. The question today is not really, is God's hand there? The question is, are you willing to embrace the love of the Savior that is being outstretched with that hand into your life? Some of you have troubles and you need to bring them today and you need to pray. Some of you need to be saved today. Some of you just need to celebrate and thank God like Lydia. That God says, come on. I've already, I've already written the song. It is time for you to join in and just praise my name. If you're glad that we can sing with Jesus, say amen. Stand with us this morning. Father God, we've preached this passage best we can. We tried to show the wonders of God's word today. 
Lord, I know I'm not the best preacher, most powerful preacher, but Lord, these are beautiful passages. And Lord, I pray that a little bit of the glimpse of your beauty and salvation has come through, that a little glimpse of your hand in our lives has come through. And Lord, I pray today that there are those that need to be converted. Lord, before it's too late, that they would embrace that outstretched hand, that they would come today, just confess their sins, express their desire to live and to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to come today. Lord, for those in troubles and struggles, Lord, may they come as well. Lord, we'll give you praise and glory and honor for all that you do, for all that you've done. Lord God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Cecil, what number today? 265. 265. Listen, you need to come. Don't hesitate. You come now. Careless soul, while will you linger wandering from the fold of God? Hear you not the invitation? Careless soul, oh, heed the warning, for your life will soon be gone. Oh, how sad to face the judgment, unprepared to meet thy God. This sister has come. Will some others come and pray with her today? Maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to pray. Listen, you listen as Brother Cecil sings. and You can sing with him, but if you need to come this morning, you come as these come for prayer. Go ahead, Brother Cecil. Why so thoughtless are you standing while the fleeting years go by and your life is spent? Guys, step aside and look, every, all of you right here, look out here at this crowd. Sister Brenda has come today, and we know the battle, we know the struggle that she is in, and she's come to pray this morning. And these ladies, just like the ladies 
who were there in prayer with Lydia have come to pray with their sister. You see this preaching this morning, and the reason you came to worship God isn't because of fairy tales from 2,000 years ago. It's because God's kingdom is still moving today. Amen, church? And one day, if this hadn't been you yet, this will be you. God tarries, this will be you. And you'll either stand alone before God, or you will stand with Jesus and all those that He has saved and redeemed. Sister Brenda, we're glad you're here today. What a great, great day. Brother Cecil's going to close us in prayer. I'm going to be gone when, you, when he's done praying. I'm going to be out the door and, uh, and gone. But it was great to see you today. We love you. God's good. Say amen. 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 Go in the power of the Lord today.